<laughs> you know how preachers always like to feel sorry for themselves. So. He made me feel a lot better by saying that. I, I believe there's a lot more events take place during a seven-year tribulation period than in the millennial reign, as far as revealed in the Bible. But nonetheless, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> but that is true. I'm. I didn't know which way to approach this. Actually, I, I taught on this some years ago. It took me 52 weeks to uh, teach on the, the tribulation period. And, and um, I thought, wow, what am I going to do with this? So I thank God for the opportunity to be here and for the friends and, and loved ones we've known so many years. It's good to be back. And we, good to see such a good number out here. I'm thankful for that. And uh, thankful for the goodness and the grace of God upon us. Uh, and the confidence Brother Hobbs has in me to handle this subject. And I notice it is uh, things to come. So it's not already taken place. It's not happened already. And we're not in the middle of it right now. So it is something to come. I pray that the Lord would come back right now. I don't think I could be uh, any happier than that. It's great to be here with you folks, but it's be far greater to go and be with the Lord. And if you're here without Christ as your Savior, whether He comes back or not, you're going into this period of time. And as sure as you're sitting here, these things will take place. God is a God of purpose. The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 15, that He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of this beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. In the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And I know many of you have come to realize and, and have come to see that God is indeed a God of purpose. He is a sovereign God. He's a God of all goodness and grace and, and yet He is a God of purpose and Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible, even though the horrible things and the things that shall come upon the earth during the tribulation period, I doubt that we could express with mortal tongue uh, what shall take place there. Even those things that happen there are for the good of God's elect and for the salvation of His people. And as I look at Romans 8.28, it says, according to His purpose. So we trust and we we depend upon, we believe upon, on a God, a purpose, and that all things work according to that purpose for the eternal salvation of God's elect. The time of Jacob's trouble, Armageddon, the 666, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. These terms have long been a topic of lively discussion and have had heated debate year after year and and probably will until we see them fulfilled for ourselves and how they shall actually uh, take place. All these things work and have a purpose, though, in God's eternal plan. And we see that at the Scripture, actually, what does it say about these things? What is it that the, the Bible says concerning these things? And, and I, I think that uh, we debate as we want, and, and many times it gets lively and Many times it gets heated and, and we think about the things that uh, God has revealed for us that have not yet taken place and, and, uh, and some men have built whole religions upon them. 
But I believe that careful examination is called for and, and these issues, uh, as they've been much maligned down through the ages, need to be uh, brought out in truth and, and in love and in the spirit of God's people that we might indeed uh, have unity among ourselves in these things. The most important and yet the most difficult concept, I believe, concerning Bible prophecy is that Almighty God dwells outside the boundaries of time. And I know, and I do take the book of Revelation and all God's Word where I can, I take it literally. And I think that's a problem that a lot of men have. They, they try to uh, spiritualize those things and, and make them say something don't, they don't say. And, and, and many years ago I was taught if it makes good sense, Use that sense. And, and that's what I try to do in reading the prophecies of God's Word. And, and as I said, I, I think we need unity in these things. And I've always sought a unity among God's people. We see that, that He has revealed, God has revealed, uh, uh, the future, uh, yet to be experienced in time. And, and that revelation He gives us is 100% accurate. He is the absolute sovereign of the universe. And all things work together to accomplish His purpose. And He is in control. Uh, don't we know? So, so we know that, that those things will take place that He has spoken to us. And, and we can have complete confidence in the prophecies of God. And, but there's, is a most important to understand them, I believe, in their correct context. I believe it's a, as we take them literally, we need to understand them according to their context also. And as we look at the tribulation period and, and those things that have been taught here today and will be taught, uh, we must consider them in their context. And, and you know, God has purposely scrambled and divided the prophetic message uh, to thwart mankind's manipulative tendencies and his controlling tendencies. And what I mean by that, uh, you have seen, and I don't know, many of you maybe have heard of more date setters than I have. They come along all the time. They're saying a date. Well, the Lord's going to come back and, and, and Jesus is coming back. And they've influenced ignorant masses to, to sell their property, to, to give them their money, by the way, and run for the hills. You know who I'm talking about. You know these folks. So God, uh, in, in this, in these things that God has revealed, I want you to consider the multitudes that at this moment that are manipulated and are deluded by uh, the religious charlatans of the world today. So God has revealed these things, yes. But He brings the information out uh, at times little by little. And, 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 and that until a general picture is painted. And the meaning becomes quite clear after a time and after study and the wise uh, understand those things, those who would know the truth and those that would seek the truth and are prepared to receive it, uh, know those things. And I pray the Holy Spirit would give us understanding. That He would give us a hearing ear. And, and, and if any of these things I say uh, this, in this short time, you'll disagree with, uh, when we get to heaven, you'll find out you're wrong. And, uh, no, no, we'll discuss those things. And, and I, I'm, I don't have perfect understanding. I know a lot of folks that have studied these things throughout their lives. A lot of preachers, and, and one of them especially, I won't mention any names, he came to me the other day and he said, Brother Crace, and, and he was an all-millennialist, by the way, and he said, I've come to under, realize I don't know anything about this stuff. 
And I said, well, praise God, because you surely don't. <laughs> if you're an amelist and a post-tribber, then, well, anyway. He said, I, I just as confused as I am. I'm confused now as the day I began to study. I, and I'm not saying this man's a lost man, and, and the man's a good preacher, and yet he just doesn't understand these things. And he won't receive them. You know, God's Word, is, as I said, you take it literally, and you look at some of the things God has to say about that time between the first and second phases of Christ's second coming. And you look at some of those things that will take place, and, and, and these things, I say, are literal. If it makes good sense, use that sense. If you don't learn anything today at all, learn that. As you study God's Word and you look into the things of God, and not just prophecy, but everything, it's got to be understood literally. If God didn't say what He meant, why didn't He, or if He didn't mean what He said, why didn't He say what He meant? So, we want to look at a few things here, as I said, and, and bring out some teachings here, perhaps, uh, uh, that cause you to think and praise God most of all and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to speak to you about Jeremiah's great day first and, and, uh, in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 30. And we'll read, uh, the first 11 verses says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel saying, Right? Be all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Jeremiah 30 verse 4 says, These are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. He says, For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Whether do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned unto the paleness. And verse 7 says, Alas, for the day, that day is great, so that none is like it, it is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore, Fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Uh, he says, I am with thee, verse 11. Saith the Lord to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations. Whether I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. People try to tell you that God is done with Israel. Don't believe them. Listen, let me tell you, the purpose of the tribulation period is to punish Israel. 
as God's saints are being judged at the judgment seat of Christ in heaven, the tribulation period will be taking place upon earth. God speaks here through His prophet Jeremiah telling of the great day, that, that concerning that brief uh, of period, but intense period of testing which shall come upon the nation Israel. Alas, he says, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but ye shall be saved out of it. That's talking about the great tribulation period. Listen, here on earth, uh, we've gone through tribulation. People suffer tribulation all the time. We suffer things as children of God. But this is a day of great tribulation, like unto none other. And it is for Israel. For the purpose of punishing Israel. You look in the book of Daniel with me for a moment. And you see his 70 weeks prophesied here. And uh, I'm not sure I can get done with this in 30 minutes. I'll do my best. But but in, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20 through 27, we see during the Babylonian captivity of Israel, which started about 606 B.C. and and ran to about 536, there was a Jew there named Daniel, and he's approached by the angel of God with some startling information. And he's told in chapter 9, it's revealed to us, recorded here, uh, beginning in verse 20. And he says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision of the beginning, being called to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. And at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. And I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. We'll cover this in a little more detail. But here is a pious Jew, one that loved God and whom God loved also. And, and, and we see during that time, uh, he is uh, being spoken to by God in verse 20 and 21. God specifically sent Gabriel to Daniel, uh, who is known for his faithfulness. So here it is. Class is in session. Verse 22 through 23. God's about to teach Daniel something here. And he wants him to write it down in a book. And, and though rendered here, here in verse 22 and 23, it says, uh, inform me about that coming and about the, the times. And he speaks of those things that uh, of, of 70 weeks on down here. He has specifically sent Gabriel to Daniel, and he speaks to him of those things that uh, are about to take place. So we see that that in, the, in this passage, the, the 70 weeks uh, are actually weeks of years. The 77, that is the sevens that are determined and have been determined for Daniel's people, the Jews, and Daniel the Holy, uh, and Daniel's holy city, Jerusalem. Israel had, uh, relentlessly farmed their land for 70 years. And you think, well, brother Jim, I've never really heard why 
for a lot of reasons, uh, perhaps basically why God uh, brought, brought the 69 years upon him of, of uh, trial. But you look in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1, 2, and 3, they were told to give a Sabbath of the Lord each year. They were suspend, uh, let's turn there, Leviticus and, uh, chapter 25. And what Israel had done, they, ha- they had ignored the Sabbath that God had commanded them. They had ignored it. And in verse 25, the, this was the commandment of the seven years and then the Sabbath and the Jubilee years. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses in the Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord, he says. Six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather the fruits thereof. But in the seventh year, verse 4, shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord, that thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. And he goes on, he gives them more detail on how they're supposed to let the land rest that every seventh year. Well, they had farmed their land 70 years without rest. And and the the seven uh, 77s that were determined upon uh, Daniel's people was brought about because of this. So God is punishing Israel seven years for every one of the 70 years that they didn't allow the land to rest. You say, well, Brother Jen, why would God deal so harshly with such a breach? Why would He deal so harshly with such a breach of, uh, of obedience? You know, remember every ordinance. Remember every precept. Remember every feast God commanded Israel to observe. Picture Jesus Christ. And in rejecting this Sabbath, they rejected the true rest of Jesus Christ. That we have, He is our Sabbath. So we take Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. We see, uh, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So you know how serious God is about His types and His and His shadows and, and His pictures. Talk to Nadab and Abihu if you don't really realize, don't think God's serious. Thus in this place, a 483 year period must pass according to Gabriel. And from the issuance of the king Artaxerxes to the rebuilding of the city and temple in Jerusalem until Jesus rides into Jerusalem proclaiming Him as the Messiah and the King, Israel will be 483 years. And though periods of trouble will still plague Israel, God's second temple was built. And Daniel, in receiving this tremendous insight, uh, all that he had, uh, all that he was being told about Jerusalem and, and Israel, he's not told anything about the age of the church. 
the age of grace. He's not giving any insight into that for God's own reason. The times of the Gentiles is a perpetual mystery to Israel. There's where what we might consider gaps might be, and, and that's why we can't set dates and times and hours. This is a mystery to them. And it will remain so until the middle of the tribulation period. Until the mid-trib period, they will remain a mystery. The, the Gentiles will. Bible says in Luke 21, 24, They shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So, Gabriel states that after the 62nd week, which all occur after the first seven weeks, in verse 25 uh, of, our, of that text, Messiah, Jesus, He will be sacrificed. Not receiving His kingdom here on earth yet. You know, that was the biggest question they had. The disciples, right after Christ's resurrection, said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons God has put under His control. You know, they, they're asking some things and they're telling us some things. This is because national, national Israel was going to go away, be scattered for a period of time. As we've heard earlier, they've been brought back in 1948. But they were going to be pulled away and, and scattered and, and as the winds uh, upon the earth, into the earth. So we understand uh, that these things are going to take place. If you read uh, the, the prophecy of these things, you see that the people that destroyed the city and the sanctuary of God's second temple, uh, they were Romans under uh, Titus. You read history and, and you'll see this happen in 70 A.D. Listen, that's why a lot of people think we're in the millennial kingdom because of those things taking place. Those were just types and, and foreshadows of that great destruction coming during the tribulation period. The end of the city, uh, you can study some on that with T.P. Simmons. He's pretty good on that portion of it. The end of the city uh, uh, came with a flood, metaphorically, as the Romans killed 500,000 Jews. The prince who was to come was none other than Antichrist who arises during the 70th week until the end of the age. And there will be much war and desolation upon the earth. And then verse 26 says, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, have nothing, and the people of the prince who has come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and and, and his, its end will come with a flood, even to the end that uh, there will be war, desolations are determined. In verse 27, it brings a, a detailed information on Antichrist and the prince who is to come, and who obviously, I believe is, you may disagree with me, but I believe the Antichrist is of Roman origin. I don't know, I'm not really, like I said, I don't know everything yet. Uh, we see the Antichrist first appears to be Israel's Messiah. He allows the construction of God's third temple. He allows the reinstatement of animal and grain sacrifices, as spoken of in Leviticus. The Antichrist comes riding in. If you read the, the Revelation in, in chapter 6 and down through chapter 19, 
you find the first horse was a rider upon a white horse and he, he uh, came in to make war. Perhaps, and I think some men, people still believe this is Christ, but it's not, it's the Antichrist. He carries a bow. The Antichrist carries a, uh, Christ himself carries a sword, the word of the Lord. But it says in verse 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. For the overshadowing of the abominations he shall make it desolate. Even under the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even a time of Jacob's trouble. The revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And then you go in, you have the letters to the churches and such. But in chapter 6 is written uh, down through verse nine, uh, chapter 19 is a written commentary on some of these prophecies that I wrote, read and in uh, on uh, Matthew 24 and and in other some of the other gospels. Chapter 6 contains a vision of the opening of six seals. You see that that the tribulation period is li- outlined and brought to pass by the opening of the seals by our Savior, who was found worthy. Uh, and they're showed by seven seals open, and then seven trumpets coming out of those seven, out of that last seal, and then uh, seven vials being poured out at the last trumpet. So they come out one after the other. It's an intense thing. Listen, listen, the wrath of God is not something to fool with. It's a very intense thing. And chapter 6, and I'll go through this as quickly as I can, the opening of the six seals of the seal book by the Lamb of God, the events that take place. The fourth part of the earth is destroyed with sword and famine and pestilence and wild beasts. And that's just the opening of the first seal. The opening of the first seal, uh, there's a white horse, and it's not Christ, but it's the Antichrist. God, uh, Satan has always tried to copy God. The opening of the, the second seal is a red horse. That's the war horse. The opening of the third seal is the black horse and famine. The opening of the fourth seal is the pale horse, which is death and hell. The opening of the fifth seal, the souls of men under the altar, saints of God. The opening of the sixth seal, the earthquake, the darkening of the sun and moon, and the falling of the stars, and the terrible anxiety of the kings and the great men of the earth. Chapter 7 contains a vision seen at the end of the sixth seal and the opening of the seventh seal, which shows uh, the security of the saints. In the midst of wrath and, and in the midst of uh, great anger, scenes, God remembers mercy and He says, Hurt not the earth. Bring no harm upon the earth until the saints of God are sealed. That's the seventh chapter. And we see the eternal security of the saints and the praises of angels and men of the sovereign grace of God. You see the happiness of all the people of God in the millennial kingdom of prophesied there. And that no harm shall come upon the, the earth until the servants of God are sealed. Chapter 8 contains the opening of the seventh seal. And it's silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. 
I tell you what, if I wasn't a believer, if I didn't know Jesus Christ to be my Savior, I would be scared to death. Heaven is silent for 30 minutes. It's as, it's as if it's, it's drawing back, getting ready to release as a snake that's coiled or, or, or just waiting upon that time to, to release its wrath and power of the angels of God and God Himself upon the whole earth. And that seal is open. Destruction and death. In chapter 7, 8, 7, the saints are sealed. Chapter 8, the seal is open. All through chapter 9 is a, is a description of the destruction and death. Chapter 10 reveals the mighty angel in the little book. Chapter 11 describes the two witnesses. That's someone else's message. Their death, their exposure, their ascension to heaven. The seventh seventh trumpet sounds and the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The woman clothed with the sun in travail, a great red dragon awaiting to devour the child as soon as he is born. But the, the woman has a son, he is born, and he is caught away and, and, and taken up unto God. And she flees uh, the wilderness, into the wilderness. The war between, uh, in heaven between Michael and the dragon. All these things are taking place in this seven year period. The dragon and his angels are overcome and cast down to the earth. And the heavenly hosts give glory to God. The dragon, full of wrath at his defeat, persecutes the woman. You know, in this actual chapter, it's probably a history of Israel in a nutshell. I don't know if you've ever looked at it that way. The conflict of the ages. Christ against Lucifer, God against Lucifer. Then chapter 13 gives a description of the Antichrist. The figure, uh, in a figure of two beasts, the, the evil tri- the evil trinity, as some have called it. One representing the civil power, one representing ecclesiastical power, the one world religion, uh, as Brother spoke of. Then 14 tells of the Lamb of God, his elect, the fall of Babylon. I've got a minute left. Repeating the reaping of the earth. It goes on. The seventh angel, the seven last plagues. It's just... Two-thirds of the way through. And I'm finished already. So, the judgment of the great whore continues through verse seven, chapter 17, 18. And then chapter 19, the whole heavenly host gives glory to God. The great whore is judged. Avenged are the blood, is the blood of the saints. Listen, the revelation of Jesus Christ given unto, uh, which God gave unto him to show unto us through John. What a blessing it is to know and to believe these things. Do you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, you won't miss out on the tribulation. But without, without Him, you'll die and go to hell.